everyone. Welcome to our History Matter podcast, where our history is American history. Today, I have these amazing guests that will introduce themselves. I will first introduce myself. My name is Jamie Thompson. I am a MA candidate at North Kentucky University Public History Program, as well do uh, a lot of additional work at the Cisnay Museum Center, um, Gars Collection and Research Center, and seeking an opportunity to bring up these um, cultural differences and um, problems that are faced in many um, minority communities into the public eye. So we're going to go around and introduce ourselves. I'm Derek Thomas. I'm a castmate of Jamie, who is also in the Masters of Public History Program at Norfolk, Kentucky University. I fought till with Jamie A. under the supervision at Abapalasco at the Cincinnati Museum Sale, Calico Sale, yeah, I work part-time at the American Jewish archives. And I am Cordell George, and I also have the pleasure of uh, knowing everyone here. I'm currently the uh, manager of volunteer and intern services for Cincinnati Museum Center, um, and I also teach history here at Northern Kentucky University, um, where I attended as a student, uh, and studied history, black studies, and public history. And I also have a um, unique connection to African-American genealogy, uh, where I've done research and uh, so on throughout the years. So it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me, Jamie. I'm Alicia Burnett, um, genealogical researcher, master's in public history student as well here at Northern Kentucky University, and a paid fellow at Cincinnati Museum Center. I'm really excited about today's conversation. Hi, I'm Arabeth Velasco, and I'm the curator of photographs, prints, and media at the Cincinnati Museum Center. And I'm grateful to be here today, and I want to thank Jamie for inviting us, and also give a shout out to Jamie and Eric, who are both my, in, both my interns in a way, but volunteers over at the Cincinnati Museum Center, and they graciously give their time to help the photographs, prints, and media department shine. Thank you. Thank you all for uh, joining me in this very amazing discussion that we have here. So the topic of discussion today is the importance of genealogy and public history in the black community. The field of genealogy and public history goes hand in hand on how they provide a service to many communities and give the unsolved questions that have been asked for generations. So the first question I will give to you guys is, what are the benefits do we see in a kid um perspective when a person records their family history? So one thing I think that is extremely important is this is a first-hand or first-person story. So a huge thing is not having somebody else speak for you or tell your story. And when you are able to record your own story and your own family story, that is passed on and available to folks to be able to read, experience, understand, and it gives a more personal touch that I think is a relatable way to keep the past in the present. Piggybacking off of Arabeth, <clears throat> I agree. I think it's, um, it's authentic and capturing that, which I'm sure we'll probably get to uh, further in our conversation, but it's, it can be um, a theme in the African-American community that things haven't been preserved 
throughout history. So it's unique. Um, and sometimes it might be an oral tradition. Other times it might be a photograph or something tangible. But in my own experience, uh, with doing my own family's genealogy, I've come across some things. So I'm sure we'll get into it a little deeper as the conversation rolls out. I would also agree with what Arabeth and Cordell said. I mean, as far as the genealogical aspects in the African-American community, it's definitely um, a touch and go subject when it comes to finding those records and even having those ancestors around to share that history. I think that it's a roller coaster and it's a roller coaster of emotions when you also dive into recording that family history. It can be a very sensitive subject. I agree that um, there are many benefits and be able to um, start to be able to preserve af- your personal history. But um, knowing as an African-American man, it doing something is really difficult. Mm-hmm. But I see the difficulty as a way to try to persevere to it, even though it's tough, because I think a lot of people need to understand that they don't want us to try to keep our history. They don't want us to be able to preserve or know our history. And I feel that way African Americans are able to try to at least salvage some of the family history. It helped create a bigger sense of community or uh, belongingness in the world. Because oftentimes, uh, I'm, I'm speaking to myself, sometimes you can feel where you it from this world as an African American. Mm-hmm. No, I I absolutely agree with everybody because for the longest time, um, a lot of things that we face in the black community is the identity crisis, right? It's a way that we've been so long that's stripped away from our history, our culture, our ancestry, whereas to the point of now we're seeking any way to put a a a symbol a a a proud nuance of like what we identify as a community so the reason why i brought that question that you know what benefits a person to record a family history because if you don't know where you came from how are you going to be taught for like the different experience of those individuals mm-hmm. how you can know about your health factors how are you going to understand about the the indifferences that your family have faced in the past that might be happening to you i mean mm-hmm. i can't speak for all my ancestors but I can speak on my experience and then what my parents had told me um, history likes to repeat itself whether mm-hmm. we like it or not and for us to learn from the people that was from our past I think that's going to benefit the things that we're seeking in our future mm-hmm. um, you know we had our uh, ups and downs in the community but uh, when it comes to seeking our identity, I think that that's what we all can relate to. And it's something about learning about your ancestries make you feel so proud about that, you know, holding that heritage that you never really seen in the media, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nuance about studying African-American history in America, mm-hmm. and it's not considered an elective, you know, just starting off there. Before then, it wasn't even part of the history textbooks. So mm-hmm. um, seeing this experience right now and understanding the importance of it, I feel like that's going to be uh, something that hopefully as a community as a whole we can strive for. Very well said, Jamie. Yes, very, very well, well said. said. Um, so my next question is, um, 
we are currently experiencing across the country, many schools are banning and restricting black history from course curriculums. Um, in African-American lens, why is recording their family history is important, um, not only for, you know, a in-class project of doing genealogy, but just studying the African-American uh, lens through the lessons of life, um, community history, um, citizenships. Do you think people in our community could learn from studying African-American history as a whole? Um, as a collective value, what do you see as a benefit towards not just us, but people also around us too? <clears throat> I'd like to take a stab at this one first. Mm -hmm. I, I got it just rolling <laughs> off my tongue. You could do it. Um, so personally, and I'll, I'll try not to get too spiritual or emotional or anything, but personally, there's a certain inspiration mm -hmm. uh, that you get when you become educated about your ancestors, particularly, I found, if they were enslaved, <clears throat> um, you can use that to your advantage um, in life, in all aspects of life. Just thinking about, you know, when you get down or when you're going through a hard time, just me knowing and seeing the reality of what my ancestors had to go to go through I can conquer anything. Any day is, uh, is a, I can do anything at any point, anytime I'm faced with something. Just just having that in the back of my mind. Um, and then a little bit more close to home, if you will, mm -hmm. I teach here on NKU's campus. I've done my genealogy, and I found out that my ancestors were enslaved in Florence, Kentucky, northern Kentucky. So here I am, and I'm... I'm tying that into my class. I'm telling my students this, who happen to be predominantly white, who, you know, it, it might get them thinking, well, my family's been in northern Kentucky for several generations. What side were we on? Mm. Did we play a part in this? Um, and, 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 you know, the records are out there. We probably can find that out. So it's, it's exciting um, and I think it makes for a quality experience for everyone. And then me being me, standing up in front of students who oftentimes don't look like me, mm. I've found that no matter how different I am, I'm able to make such a positive, profound impact on them because it's just, it's so raw. It's like, how can you deny this stuff? So anyways, I, I feel like I'm... Uh, rambling but hopefully I've answered that question a little bit and um, so nevertheless it's it's extremely important there's a takeaway for everybody I feel mm -hmm. and uh, so yeah Cordell you wasn't wambly you were just speaking some hard truths and you're awesome man thank you he's, a, he's a good teacher I, I bet his cash um, the picky back off of Cordell mm -hmm. I fake wanting advocate back in history be able to do it to GRs and resource is not only helpful to individual back families, but the care or community of going non African maggots because I think it's able to always put a human face into big historical phenomena fits. For example, in my old family history, 
my um grandma or told me the story of her grandpa who was um from Alabama and his mother it was toward the turn of the um twentieth century, just as the nineteenth century was going to the twentieth century. He, my grandma, his mother put him onto a chair car from Alabama mm-hmm. to move all the way to Ohio to escape poverty and the rampant racism that was where he ramped mm-hmm. me up in the South back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I found that so powerful because, you know, we, we talked a while about the quit my case, but now that I know one of the people who went to the kid, my crazy, of African maggots, feed the South, and go to the North to try to care about ourselves, was mm-hmm. my ancestor. It makes it, it helped ankle that story a more, mm-hmm. I won't say necessarily will, but more authentic way for me. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy, I feel like, when you read books or watch movies about a fist, about people you don't see, it's actually for, um, not to sound overly racist, but for like white Americans to see people who don't look like them, it's easy to just dehumanize them. Even you're not trying to be mean or racist. It, but I feel like if you know people who family members who ask, oh, they're people too, and they had their own foster circles, and they're not so necessarily different from me. And I can actually relate to that. I feel like that's the power of Latinos because it's so easy to like look at big events and circle just how much these social causes of the influence people ask but and we're able to focus on these individuals i think it makes it more laughing i'm sorry for rambling no 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 you're not rambling at all i mean my honest take on it is that um you know to cherry pick history and to you know um marginalize uh just certain communities just because a, a particular group is discomfort on you know what the how the history is being told is not right um yeah. everybody history is history that is important to learn mm-hmm. whether it's good bad if it's dark history is still something important to discuss about because how that's going to fix things that we're currently mm-hmm. um seeking today yeah. i mean there's some people some kids that are in my niece and nephew's grade level, and I'm talking about like you know fifth and sixth grade, they don't know who MLK is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I mean that's my grandparents' generation of MLK. Like they they remember that, you know. Um, you know, I have family from Sheffield, Alabama. I got people from Mississippi. Went to Tennessee, and then the last stop was Cincinnati. You know. I mean, don't get me started on the Aunt Jemima blackface. Like, oh, my gosh. The fact that people still in this day and age think that that was a real black woman that was cooking in the kitchen and, like, started this legacy, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But, you know, that goes back to the problems of not just our education system, but it's the disconnect from families having these important conversations with their kids. Because I guarantee you it's not being taught home either. You know, mm-hmm. if they're not hearing it from school, you think they're going to talk about it at home if their parents don't really care about that. Right. So we got to mm-hmm. find a way, and that's going to go up to our next question. Um, what could communities do to preserve and educate, you know, anybody in all ages about this? Because if we can't fix this, fix this in our education system, how can we do it as a community, give it to our youth, you know? Well, <clears throat> this this might make a 
make some people uncomfortable. I, I think we've all got to wake up and realize that uh, nationwide, even having a platform and a, you know, in our educational spaces, that this kind of uh, conversation is under attack. So mm -hmm. the perspectives of black people and people of color for the for the greater uh, reasoning, it's it's not you know it's it's seemingly okay it's you know it's it's being embraced, but we also have to acknowledge that at the state and federal level, there's some arguably evil legislation that's being passed through uh, right under our noses. Mm -hmm. So I'd say first the community has to wake up, then the community has to become active and voiceful uh, and and I'll use the word fight. And then, you know, it's it's gonna be an ongoing thing, but that's I think that's where we're at, really. The people that already live this type of lifestyle, that work with this kind of stuff, we're gonna be us. But the systemic racism and sexism and all the isms, <laughs> they are alive and stronger more than ever we can't we can't sit there and talk about you know jamie i did a social experiment mm -hmm. last semester fall of 2023 mm -hmm. here at nku and i asked my students and i got a little upset mm -hmm. and i asked my students to you know tell me something about dr king crickets and i it was it was the worst day that i've had as a professor yet and you can sit there and say what you want, like, yeah, you know, I can't, I don't know a whole lot besides the I have a dream speech, but they didn't even give me that. And it was, so anyways, we, I think we're in a little bit worse shape than we realize sometimes. Mm -hmm. And could be because we are like-minded people and this stuff is, it's our lifestyle, it's our professional career and education and stuff so but it's uh we've got a lot of work to do is basically what i want to say if i could jump on cordell too so uh, one thing for local especially so i'm pretty new to cincinnati area i've been here almost two years now but one of the collections that we have at the cincinnati museum center in the photographs prints and media department is called the kenyan bar collection so the Kenyon Bar was the West End area of Cincinnati, and for years, decades, this area has continuously been, you know, destroyed and redeveloped and different things for the power of urbanization, so to speak. But there's just so many personal stories, and as Derek had mentioned earlier about humanizing people and putting faces to names, this collection literally shows people hanging out of their homes and their windows you know, looking at this person, a white man who's holding a sign that is identifying each lot by lot by lot that's set to be destroyed. And these people, you can see they're trying to ask questions. You can see the curiosity. Sometimes the kids are around it holding the signs too. And mm -hmm. it's, they said that this area was, you know, a slum, quote unquote, but it was not. There was about, I think between 20, close to 24,000, give or take, 
um, African-American predominantly yes, individuals living there. There was homes, schools, funeral homes, you know, businesses. Like it was an area that was home. And now today, this still causes housing crises and issues that affect predominantly BIPOC individuals. And it's just such a shame that recently, very recently, I want to say June, of 2023. Yes, it they, was. It was they June. Issued an official apology. apology. Yeah, so they issued an official, the city issued an official apology um, for doing this. But again, so when your question is about preserving and educating local or communities, it is getting those uncomfortable truths and just mm-hmm. seeing that you can still go to these areas. This still exists in Cincinnati today. You can go down to the West End. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a place. You know, people right. live there. Mm-hmm. And to just not separate yourself um, from these rea- these harsh truths and realities. And again, <clears throat> advocating to try to help uplift these stories, share these stories, tell these stories, have people in those areas who still live there tell these stories. You know, this happened in the 1950s. Um, these Many of these people are still alive, you know, so it's right. just not erasing their past and their stories mm-hmm. and letting them speak for themselves. And I think that's really interesting how you said that they kind of issued a public apology in June of last year, because I didn't know that. And I think, like, it's kind of a slap in our face when you're like, hey, I'm sorry, but we're not going to acknowledge this history, and we're not going to reparate for what we've taken from your community. And it's just, it plays all into the fact of, like you said, it's still affecting our community in this day and age. 2024, we're still affected by what happened in the Keenan Bar Project. So I think that's really interesting. Um that they issued a public apology, but it's like you, you're coming with an empty hand and saying, I'm sorry, but what are we supposed to do with that? Yeah. It's, um, I would say it's even worse than empty hand because it's just an insincere performative act because the city boss asked last will, but at the same time, they also announced they're going to do even more up in renewal, supposedly, on the last end. Wow. And the city also double down with several of the residents say, are you gonna apologize also for the um Hosu um um the soccer stadium that you built in the last thing? And you supposedly paid people to leave, but you apparently there was a lot of legal problems with how much people was getting paid. Some people didn't want to leave. The city was like, no, 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 that's different. That's different from what happened in 1959. That's you know it's not the same thing even though you know Illy that happened in 2019. It just going to show you. Things are sadly so the same everywhere. You know, the language may be different and the, te- t- and the techniques, but the same, same scummy on that. Like, here, we want to get rid of a bus or pull back people and just put, kick them out of their homes and get rid of their neighborhoods. It sucks. And that's why, like you guys were saying, we got to fight that. We got to fight that. That's like, you know, you know, because people, you know, it, this difficult history, we got to show it to people and like, mm-hmm. yeah. get the community to remember that. Because yeah. it's easy, you know, if you don't know your history, it's like, oh, the cities, the city, you know, they're part of man, that type of part of Okay, he's, he's trying to do bad. But if you know your history, like, hey, you, hey, man, that's, that's really fishy. Wait, like, so can I ask, what what is with the soccer stadium? Because they did that in Covington. We had a park that was like one of the biggest parks. It started with the pool and everything, and then it kind of just went downhill to an unattended park. And then they tore the whole park out, took our basketball hoops, and then put a soccer stadium there. And I was just so thrown off by that. To make a long story short, they put the FC Cincinnati mm-hmm. soccer stadium 
in the most historically cherished black community, okay. yeah, the West End. Yep. Yeah, both of my parents. And yeah. now it's it's subsequently creating a lot of gentrification that yeah. we'll, we'll see in the coming years. Okay. So it's. I was about to mention that uh, both of my <clears throat> parents actually met at uh, Taft High School, mm-hmm. which is right behind the FC Stocker Stadium. Huh. And that's, that's because that used to be the previous location before mm-hmm. they bought them out. And, yeah. you know, it's it's disheartening when I hear the elders in my family and my parents say, like, I don't recognize this city. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't recognize th- there's hardly any West End anymore. And that was prominent in, mm-hmm. you know, the black community. I don't recognize the banks. Look at so, what the highway did. Yeah, the highway. Yeah. It, it, it destroyed a lot of prominent black businesses, homes, a place of worship um, where kids can go. And, it kind of tells my heart yeah. where I had the story of what happened to Fed Silverwalt's trust mm-hmm. that he a piece to throw out the civil rights. Uh, they tore it down to build the um, FC soccer sale. They paid the um, parasols to mo- make a move to us, but that was just a historic building. It's just a s- part of our history. And they just tore it down. Urban renewal or urban removal? Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. you don't hear these conversations like, or like, who asked, like, what survey was, you know, sent out to the people in the community? What, you know, uh, community gathering or city, you know, hall meeting that we had that said, like, yeah, you know, you we know, all agree to tear and, down and this historical, you know, place. And, Jamie, perhaps they did, but perhaps there was also some miseducation that went mm, along with it. Yeah. That, you know, and... They could have reworded. They, 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 might, have, they like, might have reached out and <laughs> folks, folks might have thought some, it was beneficial. There was some miseducation. They yeah. came through the um, mm-hmm. 2019 um, mm-hmm. um, FCC because they promised that, oh, they were going to win a the said. They was going to mm-hmm. give the people who said money to it. It really did. It just right. tend to forget. It's just like you said. It just tend to forget. It. You see, also over the line, of force. Tend to forget. It of force. just means we kick you out, cut it, as this, and make you it so. That's right. One go. Wow, as this move in. Yeah. And I want to, I want to get us back sorry. on here, but for the sake of jumping down, mm-hmm. one more rabbit hole that comes to mind. <laughs> now go ahead. Um. This stuff, and I, I tend to be kind of unique in this outlook, but what comes to mind is like this stuff is really not all that surprising when when you look at, you know, the certain levels of government can't even agree on anti-lynching legislation. <laughs> so wow, it's like if, if, we're, if we're talking mm-hmm. about something like a lynching infringes on your freedom of speech or something it's like this is the kind of things that people really say and publish so it's like Mm -hmm. okay this isn't all that surprising that we're you know we're dealing with these kinds of things in the community because it's getting back to basic Mm -hmm. human you know humanity like Mm -hmm. we're people and and i love what you said at the beginning derek being black and it, it's one of the most alienated feelings just just going through life and seeing this stuff 
and I, I know everybody's got a unique perspective, but mm-hmm. being black is certainly one that goes at the top of most charts, I'd say. Uh, but fact, you go down. Thank um, you. Yeah, I'm sorry for ramble you gave, but I was gonna just briefly miss it that the biggie back off of the um, is that bag. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of that double the balls um double consciousness and mm-hmm. Faz's day was last day and mm-hmm. you know Faz's day wasn't it in the um nineteenth century as Washington's pub day. Mm-hmm. You know, Charles Washington our first Faz day. It's supposed to be a hard day that you know, most of my kids are like, Yeah, I like Charles Washington and even now, you know, people are like we should also like wake it too because his pub day is fab life. But for ever getting my kids though, it's I would say it's very Distressing because Washington it's was a, a slap in the face. Yeah, because yeah. you know he's a civ- he was a civil. He he schooled over us. He wasn't fighting for our liberation or freedom. He was fighting the liberation stuff during that matter. Even Ed Wakey, he wasn't fighting yeah. to feed civs. He was fighting mainly to just keep the union together. And even and he was more than willing to keep civilly attack. And he never saw African Americans as equals because Wicked had to pay must be grappled to act so or support some master of African American suffrage because he, he really wanted black people to just leave the country after the mm-hmm. war if we was to have So to have us sabotage these hardest, it's, I don't know, it's checked up to exit because I'm like, why should we be savage gas who <laughs> like majority of the presidents would not favor what we're exactly. right now. So to you know, and then but, on the month out of all months you gotta have president day. It just had to be the black history but president day, you know, to have it's it just but, it's just one of those things I think yeah. uh, like the people mm-hmm. who are like so anti D E I they're like, Why do you why black people why black people call don't why they hear America? Why you don't want to, like, be so acoustic? They don't understand. They don't see us as human. They don't understand our history that, like, this country, like, I'm not saying this is like a, I hear America, but they have to understand this country has done a lot of horrible things to us. They so we shouldn't just. Us. Should, yes, yeah, we shouldn't just blindly be pitchy icky, maybe And don't get me wrong. I laugh. Don't get me wrong. As general, like, I'm very thankful that I was born in a country where I have at least some rights. So I can't put all that yeah, situation. Yeah. But hmm. do not dog whistle a, a marginalized community and pretend that what you had did, you know, hundreds of years was just going to be clean slated. You know, like there's people that still have trauma to this day for what they experienced. You know, my family had faced a lot of hate crime incidents and from Cincinnati, you know, you know, one of the states that was supported by, you know, the union, they still had issues with racism. You know, just because you went over the river doesn't mean that it's a safe haven space. It's just technically supposed to, but there were still slave catchers coming in here. You know, they were Cincinnati still... used to lease slavery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they didn't. You know, it wasn't an ownership. You know, so thing, you know, things going, were built there. Yeah. You know, piggybacking on my uh, fellow colleague um, Derek. You know, when it comes to the whole situation of why people don't see why African Americans in this country just can't be so patriotic, look at your history. Exactly. There is a reason why people just don't lash out just for the fun of it. People don't 
you know, tolerate so much to the point that they get all, you know, uh, just exposed and vulnerable and, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just this topic alone is very sensitive, but the importance of this and, you know, before we get to the other questions, I just want to mention that um, our voices matter. And right now we at that time and place where it's getting taken away um, because of when the truth comes out, people start to run. And we got to stop that running so they can hear us talk more. Um, but any last, you know, questions before we get to the next subject? Anybody want to piggy into it? Or? No. All right. So the next question is, um, because it is impossible to tell every story that makes up the local black or African-American history, how should we decide which story gets told and which should get left out? Now, this question um, was very hard for me to ask because even within our own community, we always have this conversation of like, well, who should be, you know, our next, you know, leader? And then if something comes out like, oh, well, we're going to change to another person. But it's like, what impact have they done that helped out? You know, what cultural relevance that they have that you know, helps the community itself. Um, but I'd like to hear your guys' responses on that. So, I, I think if if we're leaving stuff out, we've already lost. Hmm. Uh, I And I know I could definitely see why you would struggle to ask that question, Jamie, because it's just a, probably that concept. Mm-hmm. So um, I think everything... deserves attention awareness exposure for the for the purpose of educating I had to I had to see my great times five grandmother listed and I have no reason but to believe this that the slaveholder that that held my family may have raped my grandmother and that so his his dna is in me mm-hmm. so i go through life every day having these thoughts you know like so um i'm dealing with it but that's a reality to me yeah. that i had to learn about and i had to go through whole processes of so and that's you know that's probably as as bad as it gets but um i think it's important and and not just for me but on the on the other side everybody not mm-hmm. just for people of color for white people alike and and everybody men women you name it these these harsh realities mm-hmm. for the sake of education just put it out there and who knows uh what kinds of things we can improve on for the future isn't that the common goal that it seems like everybody is in agreement upon? So uh, I don't see any benefit to leaving anything out. And that's just me. And I feel like with what you said, it just plays into authentic history. Like, just don't leave out authentic history. And it, it's not that hard to just 
look at the facts, look at the documents, look at the slave schedules, and not misinterpret our ancestors' story and like what actually happened historically to people of color, to enslaved African Americans. I just don't understand how, like, why is it so hard to take our historical doc documents, things that are in the archives, collections that we've seen, that we all have been aware of and have worked on and worked within, and just tell our history based off of the facts. Just factually tell our history and don't leave out the facts. Mm -hmm. Or misinterpret the facts at that because it's a harsh and uncomfortable thing to talk about. It's still what happened. And if we're willing to talk about that and embrace what happened to us to get us further in society, then why can't others? Right, Alicia, and I wanna point out too, through this process of education, we can do it in a way that doesn't victimize us. Yes. I don't I don't yeah. see think of myself as a victim. Yeah. Instead it gives me the courage to be mm. a, a young black professor and go into a predominantly white, nearly all white class mm. of culturally different students. Mm -hmm. I'm from Cincinnati, so yeah. even just being in Kentucky. I get chills because I'm like, <laughs> I don't, but I understand where you're coming yeah. from. Like, you know, and I'll say that to, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say that proudly, but mm -hmm. it gives me the courage when I cross that river and I come into class and it's like, man, you got this, you, you know, just remember what your people went through. And when I tell you that we 99 times out of a hundred, I hit it off and you always have the the one, but it um mm -hmm. it's very powerful when you I think when I teach, I'm admired for my realness. Mm -hmm. So I don't hold back. So I think it it speaking from a testament of, you know, personal mm -hmm. uh experiences, it works. Put it out there. And uh we can meet in the middle. And we'll figure out how to do, how to get there, but let's just put it out there, and uh, it helps everybody. So, and I think sometimes people who get left out are often people who maybe society doesn't see, and by that I sometimes mean janitors, mm -hmm. people who mm -hmm. are in the throw the garbage delivery, all these mm -hmm. people, and it's like everybody has a story to tell, and it's also. I always look at it from the lens of everybody does have a story to tell, but nobody owes me their story unless they choose to share that. And so a lot of times throughout history, people have spoken for others. You know, when certain things are missing, you're piecing together what you think the story was. But sometimes those little snippets of truth are missing mm -hmm. or are omitted or are purposefully omitted. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, it's important to... You know, as Cordell said, every story is worth telling. There's all types of different facts out there, and it's important to do that hard work and build those relationships with people. Because a lot of times what I've seen as a historian, mm -hmm. and it's a horrible thing to say, but like a one and done, it's like, oh, tell me this, and then I use something as this like mm -hmm. token mm -hmm. great thing, and then that's yes. like, you then you never talk to these people again, and it's terrible. So I never, mm -hmm. from me, for my personal story and journey in life, I always try to build these relationships with people because, again, nobody does owe anybody their story. Mm -hmm. And why would anybody want to give someone's story, especially that they don't trust or that they may misconstrue or create in a different way? So there's, mm -hmm. I think about that a lot in terms of what's omitted 
what is shared and how those processes are done. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I can speak on our experience as students where, you know, we had to face, you know, different, you know, projects and we, we take the ethical boundaries very serious mm-hmm. about like telling people stories and, you know, I'm, I'm never the one to uh, want to narrate a false story on an individual. I like if I want to do research on that person, I look for concrete evidence, do background oral histories, no matter what. And, you know, I, I can speak for my other colleagues, too. They, they believe that same thing, too, you know, especially the importance of. African American history and how for so long our history been told um, very vague and very bleat, you know, um, it doesn't have any um, references of like what we've really been through, mm-hmm. you know, and then the whole victimizing situation we talked about, you know, like how, you know, if you only hear about African American stories is always just go back to just to the antebellum, you know, only talks about we were in slavery. It never talks about the Reconstruction era. It never talks about the stories before Emmett Till. You know, it always talks about you know just antebellum Civil War and then MLK during the Civil Rights Movement. You never hear the stories in between that. Mm-hmm. You never hear about prominent um, Black businesses that are in an uprising. Um, you know, Black Wall Street. If you know about that story, you know that can be a whole nother podcast episode. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but hearing those stories. You don't see that a lot in the media or in our education system. And I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the, our projects yeah. because this whole conversation has just made me think about Augusta, Kentucky, and how mm-hmm. we were partnered with the Clooney's to tell the story about the AME church. Did we verify that it's an African-American school church, or is that still up for grabs? Um, we, I have done research. It is not AME church. It, that's been one of the biggest soul parts in the project with yeah. Augusta, because I had me and a few others like yourself and Jamie, mm-hmm. we have repeatedly been tired to tell the um like Coonies and others that no, stop saying Amy Tuss is a Methodist ex companion Tuss. Now, it was predominantly African American, it was part of the Waxy Day Conference, which was the part of the Methodist ex companion Tuss that was predominantly. Mm-hmm. Ran by back um, deacons and stuff, supervised by a white bishop. But mm-hmm. no, it was not an African. But ma- everything you just said, mm-hmm. why couldn't they tell the story properly with the facts that we found, that we went out to Augusta and went into the courthouses and located? Why did they still have to harp on a false narrative for tokenism? Like Arabeth said, yeah, tokenism yeah. is it's- a very. Uh, unfortunately, it's a thing that happens everywhere across the country. When it's convenient. When yes. it's convenient, and when it's it's, it's in, really hard to fat oh back. Because like the, yeah. um, the it, names connected to it. I mean, yes. I just want to shout out to a church that actually has a lot of black significance, which is the um, historical Second Baptist Church in New Richmond, yeah. because that church history has a group of men um that was during the reconstruction era um that predates the NAACP that was for the advancement of color people in mm-hmm. New Richmond something that you don't hear much about at all well who's and, driving that initiative exactly it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 people that they don't get enough recognition 
Um, luckily, I am doing an oral history with um, one of the native um, New Richmond folks who, you know, take care of the church um, itself. What but, conversation? I want when you talk about ethics. I want to bring it back to that because yeah, go ahead. how go ahead, a boy yeah. is when you miss it, the whole Blue Richmond mm-hmm. and how the previous cast before you showed up, mm-hmm. they schooled up with um, the native because, you know, mm-hmm. They, they promised her that they would go do a podcast and talk to her, but they did it. And mm-hmm. now she like, I don't want, she's closed off. But she right? I don't blame that. Yeah, I, I don't blame, blame her because she bond. See, those people bond her to us. Yeah. And I feel like I feel, and your point was a good point about why ethics are so important because, you know, the tally show is you got to build bonds. Yeah. And you don't build the bonds, people don't have, have the whack. To say, I don't want my story told by you mm-hmm. because I can't trust you. It, yeah. it, it, that was a good point you made, Jimmy. That yeah. just made me be uh, what they did in the Maui Eye, how long this chill like that, because and bombing to all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And not, and not to live with you, it. You know? When it had all the time. It's, it's like, because not only the fact that you're recording an individual history, you're recording a history that is not talked about at all in U.S. history or even a local level. Like, I I'm, was born and raised in Cincinnati. You know, New Richmond is not that far from Cincinnati mm-hmm. at all. And for me to not hear about the significance of these people in this community, which, by the way, um, you know, it's not that many native New Richmond people already as it is like there's no generations that's before you know the 1940s that are still there and let alone not that very few african americans that are native in there you know one of the few people i have you know so graciously to um you know talk to and get to under you know get to learn about um is miss mary allen and you know quick shout out to her she is a brilliant and very um courageous woman that is fighting to hold the New Richmond um, culture and black history into the community um, where there's not that many um, people that is allied to that. Um, But, you know, going back to the ethics thing and why it's so important is because when you carry and when you record individuals' history, that is like them passing the baton to you to make sure you are trusting their legacy and their their culture and their heritage. So when I have the opportunity, or we all have the opportunity to talk to people who are giving a sensitive, you know, historical significance to you, it is our job to uh, present it in an ethical way, to uh, educate people about their. Um, the intellectual rights, you know, I always advocate on too for them to hold that. But going back to the educational aspect of it, when somebody give you that bit of history, it is our objective to make sure we preserve it, we collect it and educate it to other people that have that interest of it and future researchers or people that you find in that community. You know, I just thinking about myself when I was a little kid, you know, just to have the opportunity to talk to my elders and understand their history. That's what made me hold it to my heart and pass it down to, you know, my niece and nephews. And, you know, for the kids that are in New Richmond, you know, who have, you know, at least some ties of ancestry from that community, from the antebellum, or even at least to the Reconstruction era, you know, to have that history still stay there, that's something that they can hold on to mm-hmm. and, and see it as a way to hold and protect their heritage and pass it down to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think even with New Richmond, we see tokenism, unfortunately. And it yeah. could be the people that are trying to preserve this history, which we kind of have to allow it because it's like if anyone is willing to preserve it, why not let them? Mm -hmm. But it's like we don't talk about the Union Aid Association of Color Men that was from New Richmond. And that's mm -hmm. something very powerful and motivating that was just, they were located right down the street from the, yeah. that church. Yeah. So it's like, even then, when we have so much history in a small vicinity, it's overlooked. And it's harped on what's bringing in funding. What can we push out into mm -hmm. the community that we're going to get a reaction from and leave out other parts of the story? So as unfortunate as it is, I feel like in every story that I've came across, especially in Kentucky, there are things being overlooked. And it all came and talks up to tokenism. It talks up to funding. And it talks up to what, what can we get on the news? What can mm -hmm. we get? You know, like it's, it's kind of pathetic. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, you could be right, It sucks so badly that it's not talked enough. We, at least not, it's kind of like an unspoken move, but we constantly got to see the money. It like mm -hmm. what gets the most view when it comes to like horsey. Like you say, unfortunately, it, it, we used to just talk in this kind of mindset that mm -hmm. what's hot and what's popular. It, it's. That's why I don't like when you missed the question that say what took we just decide so it gets torn out. I don't think like Cordell say well, we shouldn't be deciding what to leave out because mm -hmm. I know this is gonna be awkward to say we all got bad sauce. Like we all got stuff that we've whacked more than uh -oh stuff, so we gonna naturally focus more on that. I feel like that's why we people walk together as like a community because hopefully we feel ugly. Mm -hmm. Our bad spots a couple other people bad spots. If I'm hoping I'm making some sense, I'm hoping I'm making yeah, some yeah, sense. Yeah, no, you're boy. making yeah, yeah. plenty of sense. One more thing I'd like to say about um, tokenism, and uh, it it becomes more apparent to me as I progress in in my career. Uh, I've become the poster child for certain things. And uh, I think about it. It bothers me. But if not me, then who? Mm. Yeah. So as we talk about tokenism and things like that, um, recognize that where you're at in life, you're there for a reason. God might have put you in that position for a reason. And... Um, so anyways, I don't want to, you know, it's everything's got a double-edged sword, and we could look mm -hmm. at everything differently. Yeah. But you might just be that one in this generation, the same way that Rosa Parks, the same way that Dr. King and, and the greats that we could go on and name for hours, the same way that these people became the poster child in that moment. Well, working on this, you know, project or something, doing this and that, you it might just... <laughs> be meant to be that way even though it's messed up even though it's messed up it's got to be this way um i struggle with because i i know for 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 and excuse my lamp for i won't cuss but i know <laughs> i know that in my life i have become that i have been tokenized in a, in a lot of my professional uh, experiences, 
as of lately, as I've graduated school and whatnot. So it's because of who I am. And I could I could make the decision to not be a part of something, or I could make a decision to make an everlasting impact mm. for my children's sake or my grandchildren or or the history books down the road. So I think it's it's important. And I'm speaking not just to black people, but all people who can identify as underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everybody but white men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. very powerful yeah. stuff you say, Cordell. Yeah. Thank you very much for saying that. Because, like you say, it sucks being a talkie and knowing that you're a talkie. But you got to always remember when it comes to that fatty for justice, it's often a very difficult fight. And you may not win at times, but you always got to remember in the back of your head if you don't fight, who will like you have to always ask yourself mm. the cast if you're not going to take part of the struggle or try to do yourself then who's going to be there to help you down the wall why you got we got to about the people and behind you what they sacrifice to get you where you at and the people on the wall hear you and hopefully they you got hope if you do your part things will be bad for them. Like, you got to try to see that. That's why, going back to the beginning, about, um, why it's important for a team Aussie, African American, I feel like if you don't have that team Aussie history in you, mm-hmm. you're not able to see the big old wild world map in your, uh, uh, like, his society mm-hmm. and stuff for black people because, like I said, we, we ain't it. It's, you know, it's tough stuff. It, oftentimes, you know, we taught, we were taught to just self hate ourselves. But mm. I see history kind of like as a healthy math, some form of like self hate for ourselves. Like, whereas mm-hmm. you create or they want to give, they what we are taught about ourselves. That we're, we're more than just bunchy bags for like America. Mm-hmm. We, we're bound to that. We, we have moments, we, t- we have childs. We could dream. I, I don't know. I'm I'm gay, witty, mopey, dopey. So I'm sorry. No, no, I'm not no, good, no, but it's you're just th- I don't know. This talking making me way it's powery. But yeah, Cordell, you in and out here. We got it's it may be a sucky wall at times. Be a toy stuff, but we gotta keep pushing for everyone. Wow, yeah, us. exactly. Yeah. Like it, it, as if it isn't been obvious yet. We are in the unknown. Like we are the first to make that change and want to harp on the proper parts of our history and like without jamie who knows where we would be at with mary allen the descendant of new richmond mm-hmm. and like i'm transcribing the union Aid association of color men records so that is to the public and more people can access it but without these efforts where would we be we would still be focused on the wrong initiatives focused on funding mm-hmm. focused on tokenism and we're trying to make that change and it's it's hard and you look up and you want to grab somebody's hand for guidance and there's nobody's hand to grab yeah so, uh-huh. yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we might lose the battle, but there's a war that's still going on that we can win. And yeah. I take any steps the good fight. to get yeah. to yeah. Them, and we're going to have a good fight on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So next question. So the University of Louisiana Lafayette defines public history as the use of historical skills and methods outside of the traditional academic realm of history. Public historians use their training to meet the needs of their community. 
So how are curators uh, trained for the isms for modern museums? I mean, we know about the history of museums in the past. You know, one of the big ones, Mistonian, had history of uh, issues with NACPRA. I'm just going to leave it on that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, when it comes to the ethical boundaries that, you know, we probably see in collections or, uh, you know, just working with a crowded group and it's a difficult conversation of history that you got to bring and discuss. How are our curators are getting ready and prepared for that? You know, talk, you know. Well, so. I'm not sure if school trained people for that. So for me, personally, I'm a huge proponent of getting out into the community and making myself a person that people can know or identify or see or come to with questions. Um, I've lived in many different places throughout my life, and wherever I am, I always try to get to know these different areas, these different stories. And again, it's important for me to make people feel seen, heard, and represented in collections and archives. And so many times, unfortunately, throughout my life, that has not been the case. People are like, I don't see myself in this, or I don't see anything that resembles me at all in any of this. And so for me, I always try to find those stories, those images, those <clears throat> backgrounds, and try to lift those out and say, you are here. And if you're not here, how are we going to get you here? You know, what, what can we do that makes you feel comfortable that you want to share a story or that you want to learn this or that you want to learn that? And I think a lot of times, especially with archives and other things, can be very isolating in a way or also very like, these are my things and you can't see them and secretive. And so I am a huge proponent of like, whatever we have, you should know what we have. Like, we all should know what we have. Um, and so in terms of the isms, I, like I said, I don't really know if my education did pre uh, prepare me for any of that. It's just kind of learning through we go. And my, my mantra in life is always stay human, Michael Frantian spearhead. So it's just always important to share those things and those stories. And again, encourage others to use their voice and help educate us in the museum world how they want to be seen and represented in these collections. And I, I don't have a ton to say about that besides to extend some love to Arabeth because I get to see exactly what Arabeth is referring to um, from the times on, on a, a handful of times that I've had the pleasure to just see um, when she comes in and does events, various things. Mm -hmm. There's always something happening at Union Terminal. Mm -hmm. And Arabeth does a great job at um, just bringing about awareness and exposing that stuff. So Thanks, I I totally, it, I just wanted to let you know it means a lot, and I think everybody notices it and feels it, so it's it's something that you you hit the nail on the head with. Well, I appreciate that, but it yeah. is important. It is, yes. to me, it truly is ingrained in who I am as a person, but also as a historian right. that, you know, seeing these underrepresented stories and again, I never want somebody to feel like they don't belong in a collection or they don't belong looking mm -hmm. at something or they, you know, that that just breaks my heart. So I never want that to yeah. be anybody's experience in our modern world that we are living in and changing history and all the great work that you all are doing to uncover and share those stories. And it's amazing. And I'm just really proud of you all. 
I think that we've said like uncover and expose and represent like these are all kind Very of word. yeah Scary. and <laughs> it's just like like that's what we need to do and mm -hmm. like how often and like we've taken an archives class and these archives when we walked in when do you walk in and you see collections just out just for display that include our people no we don't mm -hmm. you don't see that these are these are the collections that are backlogged these are the collections mm -hmm. that are not cataloged these are collections that are in the corner in the in the shadows so i think that it's really just important to i guess remind people that that history matters and even if there isn't a big you know population that are is coming into that that library or the archives and utilizing that collection mm -hmm. it's still important to put it on display mm -hmm. Because it's it's our history and it's it's like you said it's U.S. history. Mm -hmm. So to leave it out just because you know it might be underrepresented doesn't mean that it's not important and it shouldn't be advocated for. Mm -hmm. Um, Jamie, um, that is maybe a personal question, but how do you all? You could jump into Alisa. How do you guys feel? Do you guys feel like the program do a good job with training us in the isms? It anyway, when it comes to museums or not, the isms not as inflation. Sorry, but not I, as, I didn't mean to put you guys on. No, the no, spot. no, no. That question is should be something that we really need to discuss on because my honest take is no, and the reason why I say that is, um, I mean, so far I'm pretty far in the program itself, and. I mean, it did help on some aspects of learning, you know, what's going on in museums and the problems that's happening in museums. But to overcome it, we don't have those discussions or we yeah. don't have the workshops to train on um, different the different biases that you're going to be facing which, within yourself, within colleagues, within, you know, any group of people that you go to. No, we don't see that, you know, and I wish that can be something that can be developed more into the program because like we all experienced before is that you know it's not that many of us of um BIPOC people that are in this program and the next group of people that's going to come in it might be just like a few of us here and you know I, I my worst fear is for someone that is courageous to join a program and don't feel I won't say safe is another term. Um, don't feel... Uh, welcome. Welcome. I mean, safe is a correct word, though. I mean, because, you know what I mean? Like I, I, like, I always been used to being in a PWI, you know, mm -hmm. from high school to my undergraduate till now in, you know, my master program. But I always had that that callous of just like, just go with the flow, you know, do what you gotta do, get your degree, get out. But I never have that, that comfort level or just that, that time to decompress where I would have at home or with my friends. And I know there's people it's traumatizing, that, you know, I'm, yeah. I know I'm about to have some backlash on people who's like, well, you know, you're in an institution, you're not supposed to be relaxed. But you to all the feel point, like you know you what I mean? It's, it's, it's like I get mm -hmm. the difference of professionalism, and then when it's just blank out, we don't want you here. I you mean, get what I mean? You guys have both been in class with me, and I will make everyone uncomfortable. If you're skipping over black history, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, that's not correct, or you're leaving mm -hmm. us out. And I've gotten the backlash from professors that have argued that, well, we are including you guys in a certain way, but in reality, we all know that 
these people were not trained and they don't go the next step to get that training on their own even after seeing us in the classroom and seeing how uncomfortable we are how unwelcome we feel how we don't see ourselves in this curriculum and they don't care not yeah just... they're kind of like they water down the answers that we give or just a creak like silence and there's maybe one ally be like yeah i agree with that yeah no like she's totally or he's totally right about that subject but going back to you know what we all were agreeing on there's not that much training when it comes to not only the students but also to um the people that are training these students on how to deal in the world world when it comes to in this you know this career field like i want to be a career curator one day so the things that i want to make sure on my belt is to understand the biases that i will be facing understanding the 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 how like you know to work with your colleagues and you know group different groups of people that might not have the same you know ideology as me might not have the same morals as me but at the end of the day as long as i respect you as an individual as a human being that's all i can ask you mm -hmm. know so uh and i just want to make note you know this air quote training that we're talking about <laughs> is becoming illegal I just want to make that note. Yeah. You know? yeah. So back to tie yeah. that back mm -hmm. in, that's that's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about the banning of books and all of that. Mm -hmm. We're talking about this air quote training that everybody's asking for. Well, not only does it not exist, but if it does exist, it's becoming illegal if it if it hasn't already. So that's where we're at, folks. And that's why it's so important, though, that you are questioning those mm -hmm. people in leadership and you're not just, yeah. you know, blindly shaking your head in agreement. Like, mm -hmm. keep questioning, keep challenging, keep being the difficult person. And it's person, scary. Quote, unquote, you know, don't yeah. get me wrong. It's, yeah. it's, it's not, a scary it's not, experience. It's not uh, an easy experience. It you know? sucks. You know, I, I salute to, to many students that take the courageous step because they don't know what's going to happen next. Like, you know, that's the worst fear of a student. Like, mm -hmm. once you get out to the real world, <clears throat> networking is one of the biggest things you got to do in this career field at least in our you know in in the public mm -hmm. history realm so if you don't know what that you know professor or staff member thinks about you and in, in putting that word out just because you have disagree with them mm -hmm. on that's why you always remember only the people who get you deserve you and do you really mm -hmm. want to spend your time and your talents working at an institution or an organization or anything that is going to just silence you for your entire career mm -hmm. right no. right so keep Keep being brave. Keep saying all the things you need to say because it will make you, as a person, be able to take it and stand right. up and not not put up with it. Trust me, I've done it in my life and in my career, and I encourage <laughs> all of you: use your voice for yourself and speak up for you. Yeah, I mean, yes. no, and then you know, going back, I, I mean. I can probably speak for Derek too on this. We absolutely appreciate the way you, you know, took us in. Well, of course. And, and, I'm and, very and, thankful for you. You know, also. and treated us like, you know, as like, you know, like students to a mentor and how you're like teaching us the steps of like, okay, if you want to learn about this career field, you got to learn this. You got to learn how to do um, finding aids and like, you know, rehousing things and like learning how to do like, you know, research requests. And that gave us a better insight on what we're going to be looking for in our future. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we Not our program that we're paying thousands and no, thousands no, no. of dollars for. Though. Yeah, our program that we just waste. Yeah. Thousands of dolls going to gas is that 
No, ja, det er useless. Det er insisted, det er det fede, because the people tell you the wrong thing. Like, pussy got the the cat a taps wrong. Hey, Jimmy and me was quacky down. It's just, oh man, it's just, and now we got both of us that's, hey, that's a whole nother conversation. Now, that's, that's a whole nother conversation. But, just, you know, but like, absolutely, I, thank you. Well, yeah, thank like you. Said, thank you very much. Open, I always try to do an apprenticeship style because that's what I was taught. And I was very mm-hmm. thankful for the mentors that I had mm-hmm. because I, too, am a very outspoken individual. And I, you know, I appreciate the people that got me and appreciate mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. so, again, I... Advocate yeah. for all of that. All and I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I can chime in. Um, imagine how it felt being me, mm-hmm. being the only, well, one of two black men in in leadership at Cincinnati Museum Center. It being my first job in a museum, and <clears throat> I'm just noticing things, picking up on things, and it's like, wow, it's kind of difficult. Uh, getting volunteers to c- just come in the door and work with my colleagues. So Arabeth and I, I we, we hit it off immediately, and, and I picked up on those kinds of things, which is why I rest easy knowing that, you know, Derek and, and Jamie and others, it's like a, it's a match made perfectly so. Thankful again, like I said at the beginning, I'm very thankful for your generous time that people offer because, again, your stories, your time, and your voices Mm -hmm. help make this collection accessible for all people, and that's important. You know, mentioning back, I mean, Miss Arabeth is a true ally. I mean, you know, when we did the whole uh Valentine's Day, you know, workshop of rehousing mm-hmm. a lot of JP Ball. That was so much fun. Oh my gosh. I, I learned so much and, and also like learning how to work with people how I mentioned before might have different morals or, you know, different in light of life than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was, you know, touchy subjects that, you know, they mentioned to me mm-hmm. and it's so hard to cover your expressions <laughs> that's like one of the skills that you got to develop um a, a expression of like how dare you ask that question think that's an you know yep. appropriate to tell to an individual um but you know i i sucked it up i answered it the best professional way as possible and um as well okay um and as well as you know also communicating to you know, Miss Arabeth about my experience, and she she was just very opening and very accepting and understanding too. So that's one of the things that I strive for. Um, but further on to the conversation, sorry, we getting a little sidetracked <laughs> there. But uh, so I got maybe last two or three questions here um, that we're gonna get wrapped up right now mm-hmm. but uh the legacy of slavery prejudice and institutional racism means many records are incomplete or aren't easily available such as discovering information from popular geology um sites that can be difficult especially before the 1870 u.s census besides using government records in the census what are other big resources that we might not think about when researching african-american history well uh, speaking from experience i would say get your hands dirty 
don't mm. just rely on what's on the internet and what's been archived or documented electronically. All right, getting getting you know travel. I've traveled okay. several hours to different states. Um, most notable, I've traveled all the way to Pembroke, Kentucky, which is on the border. It's like walking distance from Tennessee. Spent the night in a hotel, went to their local library. So you've really got to get out because you never know what types of things are just sitting in a file cabinet at some library across the country. So it's a little bit of everything. You know, Not everything's been... There's a whole decade of census data 1890 that we you know burnt in a fire so there's uh there's a lot of records that may not exist mm -hmm. there's a lot of records that might exist but nobody's ever thought to ask for them mm. so um i'd say just you know factor in everything in addition to what's online make some phone calls mm -hmm. make some visits all right visit people like arabeth in the collections if you can, if that's accessible. All right, contact your, your museums and whatnot and your mm -hmm. historical preservation uh, societies and whatnot. So um, it's a collective effort, yeah. I'd say. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. um, so if I could fast forward to the next topic mm -hmm. here. So in the news, the University of Pennsylvania has held hundreds of skulls that once were used to promote white supremacy through racist scientific research, um, eugenics, if you will. Mm -hmm. As part of a growing effort among museums to reevaluate the curation of human remains, the Ivy League School laid out some of the remains to the rest last week, specifically those who identify belonging to 19 black Philadelphians official held a memorial service for them on Saturday. In the geology world, um, what the methods that a geologist does to find ancestry to African-American individuals that face these problems? So, for example, like, I don't know if I got relatives over there, but I'd be kind of curious on, you know, tying if they are one of my people. You know, how can, you know, geologists can find this as, you know, a way to bring people with their families again. Mm. This this comes with the territory. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Not just with African Americans, with our indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, don't and here again, me being weird, but don't don't drive down any street and not wonder What's underneath that concrete? Mm -hmm. What's underneath that yeah. sidewalk? Mm -hmm. What community did this belong to before? What mass grave is underneath that Walmart? Um, so it's that's that's the reality. So it's you know people have been here for a long time. Uh, the landscape has changed a lot. So it's one of those harsh realities that's mm -hmm. very real. Um, I haven't had much experience uh, with that, but I think it's important, and I'll leave it there. I th it's important to give as much honor as you can to the families that may be current and past, but also those souls that are, you know, laid wherever, you know, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. It's important to do it with respect. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jamie, is this the soul? Is this the same 
um, sorry we hard last week at cast yeah. where they did a secret palio mm-hmm. against the protest of the back um so um back families who want to do um do more Django research and also Tadassi Barry yeah. them popoy. Yeah. Okay, I yeah. just wanna make no, sure it's, it's the same. And, and you know what? This is not unfortunately this is not the only place that it happened. It happened in New York, if you heard that a while back ago. Yeah. Um, even happened here in our local history in Cincinnati. I mean, yeah. when the medical practice field was around the eighteen hundreds, um, a lot of cadavers were not mm-hmm. taken in an ethical manner. Yeah. And a lot of them were um BIPOC. It was people of yeah. color. Um, did I get consent from families? And mm-hmm. I was always kind of curious of like how do people can take their um, relatives back to, you know, their own grave sites, their family, you know, um, section oh, of it. Because that's something that we have NAGPRA that helps, you know, a lot of indigenous people, but yeah. even that has some errors yeah. into it, yeah. right? So how do, you know, we can take advantage and take the opportunity to have something at least similar to that that happened to other minority groups mm-hmm. as well? I, um, going back, I think this go back to our discussion about the need of ethics when it comes to mm-hmm. being able to mm-hmm. tell local souls, it also bonds. When you try to keep it, that bond with the local community, you get um, bond it. Because you first see your physical bond that bond where they did that to those um, 19 African um, backfield beings. Because, you know, they said they were going to try to do justice, but clearly they did not kill. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think that's, I think at least. That's the um, basic foundation that we come to that day we like these political ass pop it um so easy like what some people call hot topics. You always got a remember that you are working with people, and when you work with people, you must show them the absolute same respect you expect yourself. Cause you 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 mm-hmm. you want you really want your family members. To just be dumped somewhere and secretly and not tell nobody. Hey, I just threw away. It's the dignity of yeah, it. Exactly. It's, it's the dignity of it. And you know, I cannot <laughs> fathom enough. If this was one of the dead presidents, let's let's yeah. say Taz, for example, if they would have did that to him, do you think that, you know, it will be okay? No, it will cause it will no. cause a massive it's, it, it's it's so many errors into it. And mm-hmm. you know, this is gonna well, now I'm about to tie this to our next question, just give you some insight for local history. Um, in the mid-1800s, Cincinnati is becoming recognized by the arts and the contribution to history with the artists themselves. One of the artists that struck across the nation is James Presley Ball, a.k.a. J.P. Ball. Um with a lot of the contributions that the Cincinnati Museum Center is helping to preserve uh, a lot of his collections, um, I would, would like to talk to the curator about mm-hmm. the story of J.P. Ball, if you will. Yeah, Jamie, you are <laughs> actually one of the early experts, I think. So if you want to tell this story, I would love to hear it from your mouth. Sure. Jamie did an amazing job <laughs> at our Valentine's Day cleaning, inspiring people and telling people about J.P. Ball. So... I will let you shine, and then I will chime in on some of the other parts. Absolutely. So uh, race relations in the Cincinnati uh, 
city uh, during antebellum period led to several race riots in the 1840s. Um, abolitionists and the Underground Railroad actively worked to eliminate slavery, but across the river was a slave state and the Fugitive Slave Act that allowed slave catchers to hunt for runaways in the free territories, including Cincinnati, like mm-hmm. I mentioned before early in this uh, podcast. A daguerreotypist uh, named James Presley Ball was born in 1825 in Virginia, who was known to be a, a free man. Um, as the young man, he learned daguerreotyping. Uh, he studied the process of daguerreotype from Boston's photographer, John P. Bailey, who was also a free black man as well. Um, after he opened his first studio in Cincinnati, Ohio, at 20, daguerreotypes were introduced in 1839. So the process was still new in 1845 when uh, Ball arrived to Cincinnati. Um, he opened a short-lived one studio. Um, he became a very prominent photographer, um, traveled all across the world, but then he moved back to the Queen City in 1849. The city was the center of anti-slavery activities as well as photographic arts, and Ball became the leader within both. Um, He wrote and published a planlet depicting the horrors of slavery to accompany a large panorama in his gallery, and it served as the official photographer for the celebration of the 25th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. Ball worked with people like Robert S. Duncanson, who is known to be the famous African-American painter um, that did the uh, landscape murals in Nichols's uh, Longsworth home, which is now the Taft Museum of Art. Both of these artists uh, worked prospectively and respectively in Cincinnati um, together. um, J.P. Ball did the photos, but Duncanson helped put the color in his work. So if you see a lot of daguerreotypes that had a lot of like blushes, jewelry, it might possibly have been from Duncanson too. And then a gentleman that came from Louisiana named Alexander Thomas had moved to Cincinnati in the mid-1850s. Um, he uh, worked as a gallery clerk, and he was also one of J.P. Ball's right-hand man and business partner. I heard he also has specialty, too, of editing his photographs as well. Um, but over time, for at least 20 years, I believe, almost 20 years, they had worked together in Cincinnati, um, you know, dominating the industry. There was an article that described Ball's great Daguerrean Gallery of the West with 187 of his finest pictures, paintings by Duncanson, um, a piano, and a mounted figure of goddesses draped in robes. He employed nine specialists that includes Duncanson and Thomas as well during that time as well. Uh, by the 1850s, his business has treated tremendous success. Um, Frederick Douglass, um, Jenny Lind, um, orator named Henry H. Garnett, um, amongst the noble, uh, sought his services, and he became quite uh, fluent around that time. He is known to take Frederick Douglass' uh, famous card de physique and other uh, part of his collection as well. I think it's with the Mistonia African American Museum yep. of. And we you actually know. have one of Douglas's uh, carte de visites, and one of my favorite is that it says on there, mm-hmm. Fred Douglas. And so I'm always like, yeah, they were friends. friends. And I wonder yeah. who wrote Fred. Was it <laughs> him? Was it oh. some random person 50, 60 years later? Like, mm-hmm. who wrote that? Yeah. So I always think that's uh, interesting, again, step back into time to try to mm-hmm. see 
the legacy of those stories. Yeah, people don't know that Frederick Douglass had visited Cincinnati quite often, and um, that was one of the photographers that took Douglass photos with J.P. Ball. So, um, unfortunately, um, Alexander Thomas and J.P. Ball had split away after the 1870s, um, but J.P. Ball was still advocating on his photography and promoting... um, the civil rights for many African-Americans at that time. Um, and he moved to Montana with his son, and they started the Ball and Son work. Um, so they were still doing business there. Uh, he, Ball, was elected a delegate at the Republic Convention in Montana Territory um, in the mid-1890s, uh, nominated to run for county uh, coroner. Um, and then uh, Ball decided to retire to Honolulu, Hawaii, um, and unfortunately in 1904 he passed away. But the reason why I want to bring up his uh, legacy that he had in Cincinnati is because at the Museum Center, not only we have his collection um, in our archives, but we actually have an exhibit that is expired by his studio that was at uh, Public Landing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the last <clears throat> class. Co- you know, collections that I want to uh, question, sorry, that I would like to share is that um, boop, boop, boop. Um, special exhibits are titled in somewhat in a general message. I know for, um, you know, Ball's exhibit is the Ball and Thomas, and that shows the prominence of what they had in Cincinnati in the 1850s. So if it was up to you, if you can create your own exhibit, uh, what would you title that exhibit, and why would you choose that title? Well, I I don't know. I don't. I would say I always look at things like beauty's where you find it. Do you see what I see? So I think that I might call it "Do you see what I see?" Because again, it's taking a perspective from these artists, and they are artists. These photographers were artists, true artists. And it's just so interesting. So we at the Cincinnati Museum Center have supposedly the largest J.P. Ball and A.S. Thomas collection that's out there. And the Smithsonian's gunning for us. Um, but we, we just have some really beautiful pieces by these, again, artists that showcase this time and snapshot in Cincinnati. And it's um, potentially enslaved individuals. It's freed individuals. It's wealthy white individuals. It's people who they transcended all of these different classes and races and systems and were truly supported artists in their own right because they their studio apparently got destroyed by a tornado. Oh, and yeah. I can't remember what year, but like it was refunded by the wealthy of Cincinnati to rebuild it. So I would call it, do you see what I see? And just try to showcase all the different lenses from these very talented individuals that still have a huge imprint on society today. And Arabeth, it, I think it hits that point that I made earlier so strong that um, these stories about Ball, Thomas, Duncanson, these aren't from a victimization Absolutely. standpoint. Yeah. It's, it's important to note that this is during the time, the, the heyday of slavery and, and everything. And each of these men were free blacks who were entrepreneurs and photographers and artists and, and such. So it's... Uh, I love that. that. And that's another reason why it's so important to educate and, and keep this stuff alive. Well said. Mm-hmm. Well said, yeah. well said. Yeah. Um, for me, I would say that I would name it something along the lines or I guess including um, suppressed or vanished or um, 
Just something along those lines that highlights that this history has been here and it will always be here and it's just been overlooked and brushed under the rug. So something with, you know, uh, suppressed artists, African-American artists of Cincinnati and things like that, like just to demonstrate that, like I said, this history has been overlooked and, you know, it's always been around and it's always been present because it's a factual part of our U.S. history. It's just been swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. um, going off of what you said, I would say maybe add underground uh, because, you know, under Cal, up, you know, we got above Cal, the under Cal, mm -hmm. because, like you said, it's been surpassed. Like mm -hmm. But also, you know, the weak, the possible connections to the under Cal wow hole, maybe. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so, I mean, um, overall, um, I would say for my um, exhibit I would do, it would be a place called the Healing Space where um, all communities are welcome to come, but it, it gives them the idea of seeing the humanities of others, mm -hmm. um, whether it's through like meditation or just having a simple discussion with somebody, a community-based exhibit, but it also holds the history significance of what so many other people have not seen, you mm -hmm. know, or have been talked about. So that would be my idea of call the you know, a healing space. But, you know, what you were mentioning, like, do you see what I see, uh, Miss Araba? She bought these beautiful daguerreotypes mm -hmm. <laughs> that I love so much in our, um, in the collection at the CMC of the Thomas family. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, if you want to talk about it a little bit before we... Uh, yeah, so we have A.S. Thomas in the flesh. And so, again, it's these Stunning portraits. We're assuming they were taken by Ball. Who knows? Maybe they were self-portraits. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes with history, we probably shouldn't make assumptions. But um, it's pretty obvious that, that it was taken by somebody. Obviously, there's labors of love involved in this. You can see the different jewelry that has been tinted and colored. There's attention to detail, skin tones, which I think is super important in a lot of these photographs. A lot of times especially in modern day photography, I feel people definitely whitewash individuals or lighten skin tones. A lot of these original photographs did not do that and I love that and think it's beautiful. Natural hairs are shown. Um, so it's just, these are very important testaments again and step backs in time to not create that erasure or erasing yeah. of history and I think that um, they're just really lovely portraits of a family just like any other family would have been taken that's exactly what this is it's a family who are proud of each other from what I can see and are loving of each other and it's again U.S. history is all history I had the pleasure of opening that up last week at the Valentine's Day event and I'll, I'll, ad I'll admit I had to look at it for about 15 minutes before I, I could even yeah. start to work on it because it's such a, it's it's so beautiful. Because you never yeah. see that many, like, African-American people, like, in this picture. From that time. At that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the victimization yeah. issue is that, like, you know, we're so used to seeing our people in shackles. We never see them, like, um, in a progressive mm -hmm. in a free manner mm -hmm. you know like this too yeah, like this is a beautiful black displays family. the excellence yeah, of everything that it that came into creating that and this would have been taken in the 1850s and yeah. so it's you know again such a mm -hmm. another 
powerful testament because again like you're talking about victimization or representation like these this is pre-emancipation yeah exactly and that's not at all you know these are again i always love photos where people are staring directly in the camera and Mm -hmm. with these defiance and i find that with actually a lot a lot of black portraiture Mm -hmm. um in our collection is that instead of you know the oh looking away it's like i'm looking right at Uh you and i'm in portraits you get to choose how you want the world to see you. And that's why I love these in so many different ways that we have in our collection because it's not shame, it's not hidden, it's like this is who I am and mm-hmm. you're going to accept that. That's right. And oh. I just think that it's beautiful. Um, I'm sorry if I'm going to um, dampen the discussion about no, this something. No, go ahead. Um, but I, I found your comment about national skin tone and national how a dark and data not whitewash. And so I see... Ms. Boasco, because I know there's been a lot of um, discussion about the need for mm-hmm. moderate cameras, mm-hmm. like uh, the ones who use soft phones, like yeah. iPhones to do battle at full cafe, mm-hmm. back skin. Yeah, I know that's yeah. a discussion with AI technology yeah. right now to try to perfect AI from becoming wishes or try to make wish mm-hmm. bigger day pistols of Biarch people, so mm-hmm. sorry. I just you're discuss you're um missing. Yeah, maybe think about that discussion. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. important again because yeah. you know skin tones and originality. Everybody's different mm-hmm. complexions, different everything, and it's important that that's represented mm-hmm. in all ways. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So any um announcements from you all? Like any upcoming like projects, programs, events. Pretty pretty much the the same old same old with me. Um, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying teaching and uh, I'm still shopping around for going back to school. So I don't know where I'll go or when I'll go. But that's that's probably the next biggest thing that I'll do in life is jump back into school. Um, we mentioned Duncanson and uh, Frederick Douglass even. And I always take the opportunity to give a shout out to my hometown, Mount Healthy, Ohio. Yes, sir. Duncanson is actually not from Cincinnati, originally from Detroit. But when he came to the Cincinnati region, mm-hmm. he actually stayed in Mount Healthy, wow. which is just on the outskirts where I'm from, born and raised. And uh, so I've done some, some some of that genealogy. And uh, he had wife and he had a wife and children and everything. So, uh, but then. In the subsequent years, he would he would go and do all of that. So he was actually living in my hometown uh, when he created some of these famous works, like the view from mm-hmm. Covington, Kentucky, yeah. and and uh, cool. actually in the hallway there there's a painting from Duncanson titled Mount Healthy that I'll show you oh, on the way yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. we'd love to see that. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, but besides that, um. I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier, Jamie, about patriotism Mm -hmm. and black people, Mm -hmm. something I'm passionate about because I get the uh, reputation of of probably probably being very unpatriotic, Mm -hmm. but I am extremely patriotic. And the the most uh, patriotic thing that I can do is continue being me and continue bringing about this awareness these subjects, these touchy subjects, and just doing it honor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, you know, not everywhere can we do this. Mm -hmm. Not everywhere can we um, 
use a platform like this. Not everywhere are we supported, and that goes for in, internally in our country and also outside of our country. So I really appreciate that, and so just wanted to thank say you. that. Thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you. Yep. Well, I like to do a quick shout-out. Um, we have a other podcast called The Safe Space, so mm-hmm. I like to do a shout-out for that. We just actually recorded our first episode last Friday, so please stay in tune for that podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my lovely colleague uh, Derek is also working on a JP Ball genealogical research um, mm-hmm. that we're trying to get some funding for, but you know, I, I'm excited. It's with the SAA um, program, and I, I hope to hear about that project in a light soon. Um, as well as going back to the safe space, uh, I'd like to do a quick shout out with my other colleague, Miss Alicia uh, Alicia Burnett, and um, Professor Cordell George, mm-hmm. um, that are very awesome speakers, and they had some very insightful um, points in that podcast too. So I definitely like to represent that as well. And then also at the Museum Center, um, at the Geyers Research and Collection Center, mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful shout out to them and how they took in um, people like me, uh, Mr. Cordell, and um, mm-hmm. Mr. Thomas here. Um, you know, get the opportunity to learn about the museum culture and understand mm-hmm. the, the many significance that it has in their community, in the Cincinnati Tri-State. Mm-hmm. You know, so I very appreciate that. Well, um, any last thoughts before we wrap it up? Thank you, Jamie, no? for bringing us all yes. together. Yes, thank, thank you, you very much. Having a good discussion and mm-hmm. us all accepting and running for those hard truths and being yeah. not silencing our own voices. Certainly enjoyed this. Thank you, everyone, for calling me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank you all for listening to Our History Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Thompson, and our history is American history. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you.